Hello and welcome to another edition of Deeper. It's so good to have you with us. Hope you're all keeping well and uh, looking forward to lockdown being lifted a little bit in a couple of days time. Um, we're going to carry on from the sermon on Sunday. We're looking at Isaiah 64 verses 1 to 9 and uh, we're started a new sermon series. We're now in the season of Advent in the church and uh, one of the things that Advent does is it raises kind of ideas and themes and values that are important to us as Christians. And I thought it would be good if we spent a few weeks just looking at some of those values. And so we're looking at a series called Advent Values. And today we're thinking about hope. And we actually only talked about hope a couple of weeks ago. Um, but this passage kind of talks about hope in a slightly different kind of way. Uh, hope is a big theme. And uh, we could spend a lot of weeks looking at it. But uh, today we're going to think about hope. So I'd love you to read the passage. Uh, do please pick up your Bible and read Isaiah 64 verses 1 to 9. So press pause now and then restart the video when you've finished. So it's quite a, 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 um, a kind of graphic passage. You know, it has lots of images in it. And uh, just to give you a little bit of context, um, so on Sunday I talked about hope in terms of waiting on God. I'm going to pick up with that theme here today. Uh, but we also talked about how here we see hope for a specific reason. And that reason is that God is our Father. And uh, that's, that comes out powerfully, doesn't it, at the end of that passage. But the context, as I said on Sunday, is that Israel has been uh, taken into exile to Babylon and over years, uh, the, the nation of Israel, and particularly the city of Jerusalem, had just been made into a wasteland. And now a remnant were returning to Jerusalem. And they're crying out to God. And so this is a prayer of lament. It's a prayer, it's a plea really, to God to, to act on their behalf. And it starts off with just those stark words, Oh, that you'd rend the heavens and come down. Lord, if you were here, things would be different. And it's interesting that they don't really ask God to do anything anything specific. It's just that the, the very presence of God would change everything. And I love that idea. That it's not just about God doing things for them. It's God being with them that would change their situation. It's God being with them that would enable them to see their situation from a different perspective. And so they cry out, or at least Isaiah cries out on behalf of the people, Lord, would you rend the heavens? Come down. Come and be with us. And of course, if God was there, then the whole, uh, the whole of the world would tremble because they would see just how powerful God is. Even the mountains, Isaiah says in that passage, would tremble before you. And so there's a real powerful plea here. God, come and be the difference in our lives. Come and make the change in our thinking, even before you do make a change in our circumstances. Because I think that's, that's the most powerful thing, isn't it? That it's our thinking about our circumstances that makes the difference. And knowing that God is with us, knowing that his very presence is beside us, should powerfully change our perspective. And then verse 2 uh, has this uh, lovely little um, phrase in it, doesn't it? Uh, 
as when a fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. See, Lord, if you came down and were with us, that would have consequences. In the same way that if you set fire to twigs, it has a consequence. It creates fire and not with that fire you can boil water. And uh, the presence of God has consequences. It enables us to move forward. It would change our situation. And then in verse 3, uh, Isaiah then starts to remember how God has acted in the past. And that's such an important thing throughout all of the Old Testament, how time and time again, and we've talked about this quite often in, in Deeper and also in Daily Connects, uh, that remembering what God has done is a key part of particularly the Old Testament. You see it in a lot of the Psalms. You see it time and time again in the prophets. They remind themselves, they even remind God of what he has done in the past. And it's such a powerful thing to do for them. They remember the big stories of how God came down, how he once rent the heavens and came down and acted powerfully on their behalf. And so that's what we see here. Lord, for when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Again, that, that phrase is repeated. Even the mountains tremble before God because he is so powerful. And I love that thing that he says, you know, you came down, you did things we didn't expect. I'm sure that when, when Israel were in Egypt and crying out to God for freedom, they didn't expect him to do the plagues. They didn't expect that long journey that they ended up going on throughout the wilderness. It took years and years and years for the plea to finally be fulfilled that they would have a land of their own. And God is, is like that, isn't he? He acts on our behalf, but quite often in ways that we just don't expect. And then verse 4, Isaiah says this, that there is no God like you. And as we read this, we need to remind ourselves, don't we? There is no God like our God. There is no God who would act in the way that God would act. And we see that in most of all in the life of Jesus. In his birth, as we celebrate that, as we come up to Christmas, in his life, in his teaching, in his death, in his resurrection. We see it in the coming of the Holy Spirit. We see it as we look forward to the end of all days. We see quite powerfully that there is no God like this. There is no God whose, whose story with humanity has been as dramatic and as transformational and as hopeful as our God. And then he says this, that, uh, that those who wait on him, so let me just find it, uh, in verse 4, uh, no eye has seen or any God beside you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. And there's the idea here that you have to be patient for God to act on your behalf. And uh, it's, it's not a thing we like doing, is it? But the, it's, what, what's really interesting here is that the Hebrew word here for wait is a very, very similar word to the Hebrew in the previous verse, which is expect. And there's this sense here of a faithful, faith-filled, expectant faith. 
But you're not just waiting with wishful thinking. You are waiting, longing to see God to act, knowing that your God is a God who will act because he's acted in the past. See, that the important thing about the past is that we learn from it, that we learn all that we need to learn about God and ourselves and our relationship with God so that we can move on with him into the future. And then in verse 5, there's a qualifier, though, to the waiting. Let me read some of that to you. You come to the help of those who do what? Two things. Who gladly do right and who remember your ways. Who gladly do right and remember your ways. And uh, that idea of gladly doing right in Hebrew, again, has the sense of a continuous, joyful righteousness. Not just, if I do this right now, God might act on my behalf. It's about constantly living and and, uh, living in the ways of God. Not just trying in a short period of time to persuade God to act on your behalf. It's not like that at all. God acts on those who have tried, acts for those who are living righteously. And then Isaiah comes to realization, and I love this. Because uh, he says, then, how then can we be saved? Because we continue to sin against you, Lord. How can we be saved? If you help those who continuously do what is right, who gladly do what is right, how can we be saved? Because we are not like that. See, none of us reach that target, do we? And that's the glorious thing about when we get into the New Testament, how we see in Jesus that we take on his righteousness. We are not trying to simply persuade God that we have done all the good things that we should do. We look to Jesus and by faith take on his righteousness. Uh, So there's a real realisation here of the need for the gospel, even here in this Old Testament passage. Who can be saved, Lord? Because we cannot live up to the standards that you have set for us. We cannot continuously, joyfully live in your ways. We need help. And then he says this, again, some more very graphic language, uh, because all of us, and there's a real emphasis in this passage on all of us, all of us have become like one who is unclean. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Right where I am in, in the street where I live, my, my road is filled with shriveled up leaves. And they crunch as they, I walk along the road, or if it's wet like it is right now, uh, they're a bit squelchy. They're useless. And that's our righteous acts. They're like filthy rags or withered up leaves. And so what happens then? What, where can we go? Well, Isaiah brings us back to who God is. He says, but you, Lord, you, Lord, are our father. That's fascinating. He says that just after verse seven, where he says that the people of of Israel had been disinterested in God, even though God was the source of their life, even though God was the, the, the source of their nation. They become disinterested in him. 
but his status as father had never changed. He always was. He is, he was then and always will be their father. And so he says, you're the potter, we're the clay. Effectively do with us as you wish, Lord. But remember, we are your people. And so do not withhold your forgiveness. Do not withhold your love. Don't be angry with us forever. Restore us to the place where we should be according to your will. And he ends with that, that bit about God as Father, because that is the key part of this passage. It's the key thing that changes everything. Their sin can't be changed. Their circumstances can only be changed by a God who cares. And their God does care because he is their Father. So let's just stop there for a moment and uh, let's start to think about what does all this mean for us today? All that was spoken to uh, the people of Israel hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. Uh, what does that mean for us now? So let's think a little bit wider. So what do we learn from this passage? This passage was written two and a half, three thousand years ago. And it was applied to the people of Israel back then. But what do we learn from it? And I think the first thing we learn is that we need to hold on to, even in the most difficult times, even when it feels like God is far away, even if it feels like God is unconcerned with our struggles and our difficulties and the circumstances we face, we need to hold on to the fact that our God is a God who acts. There is no one like our God he acts on behalf of his people. And we see that in the Old Testament and we see it in the New Testament. And I am sure you have stories of how God has acted in your life since you became a Christian. It's so vital that we hold on to that truth. It's so easy to let it go. It's so easy to allow circumstances to change our thinking around that and to think he doesn't care. It's just that God has his timing. And we need to remember that his timing is not like our timing. Which leads me on to my second point that we need to hold on to here. That actually I think waiting is a spiritual discipline that we all need to learn. We, we don't like waiting much, do we? We don't like having to put things off. And I think uh, as a society we've got worse at that. We want, our, we want everything now. Normally, if I, if I order something off the internet, and I know I should be buying local, don't tell Andrea, but if I order something off the internet, I'll order, always order from the company who can deliver the next day, rather than having to wait a week, even though it might be a couple of pounds cheaper. I'd rather have it tomorrow than in a week's time. We don't like waiting, do we? And yet I think waiting for God is something that we need to learn. Because as we learn how to wait on him, as we learn how to wait for him to act in his time and in, in his way, then we begin to be shaped into the likeness of Christ. Because we're the clay, he's the potter. It's in the waiting that we are shaped. It's not in the receiving of his acts. It's not in the receiving of his grace. It is in the waiting that we are shaped into his likeness. And it's, it's hard to wait, not just to wait, but to wait with faith. To wait believing that God 
will act. And so I'd encourage you to reflect on that a little bit. Are you able to wait on God or do you become impatient with him? And does your impatience then lead to you being disinterested because he's not doing what you want? It's so important that we learn how to wait. And related to that is my third point. How important is remembering and holding on to all that God has done in the past? I think I've said before, on, on either in a, a talk or on one of these things, that I, I keep a record of the things that God says to me and, and does. I like to look back and remember how he has acted on my behalf. I would encourage you, keep a journal. Keep a record of your walk with God. And as you read through it you know, over time, you'll see how God has acted, how you have changed, how you've become more Christ-like. Remembering is a key part of the Christian faith. It's what we do every time we share communion. We remember. We remember what God has done in Christ. And having a, a record in some way of all that God has done for you in your life is an important way of looking to the future with faith. Because what he did then, he will do in the future. And I think the fourth thing I want to just pick up on is that you should remember, why should God act on your behalf? It is not because of how good you are. It is not because you've served him faithfully. It comes out of his character. He is your heavenly father. That's why he will act. If it is entirely down to the things that we do, well, that is a pretty much hit and miss affair, isn't it? And so it is down to his character. And our faith isn't in anything else other than him and trusting in him. And you can trust in him because he is your heavenly father. So let me just give you some questions to reflect on as you either discuss them uh, in your mission communities or perhaps reflect on them on your own. So let's go a little bit further. So let me give you some questions to think about. First one is this. Are you waiting on God to act at the moment? Is there something going on in your life or in are the circumstances facing your family at the moment and you've been praying and it seems like God is not acting? Well, what from this passage do you need to take on board as you learn to wait? The second one is this. Especially if you're in a group, share stories of how God has acted on your behalf in the past. What do you learn from these stories? If you're just reflecting on this on your own, just think over your life and make a list of all the things that God has done for you, even the little things. Sometimes the little things seem to have a big impact, don't they? So think about even the little things that God has done for you. Third question. Have you ever found yourself trying to bargain with God to persuade him to act? Saying, Lord, if I do this, you'll do that. If I work a little harder, if I pray a little bit more, if I serve the church, if I give more, would you do this for me? I wonder, why not think about what does that reveal about your image of God? 
What do you need to throw away from that image? What do you need to take on board? And the fourth question is this. After this, after reading this passage, have you grown in hope? That might be a yes or a no answer. The key part of this question is, give reasons for your answer. So just uh, use those questions to help you think through this passage and the implications of this passage a little bit more. So that's the end of this video. I would love you to join us on Sunday as we uh, think a little bit more about Advent values uh, and join us again next week for another edition of Deeper. Until then, I'll see you soon and stay safe.